Um, good morning and welcome. My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here and I'm just so glad to see you all this week. And I wanted to share before we, before we got going into the sermon, the last two weeks have been, been pretty busy for me. I have been doing some, um, doing some work for the building involving the countertops. I made the coffee bar this week and the week before I'd been working on the vanities so you'd have places to wash your hands. Parents, I know you're thankful for that because as we all know, children are little cesspools of germs and they get us sick. And so it's important to have hand washing stations so that way the kids can go wash their hands and my little Sadie knows what it's all about, about getting germs everywhere. But so I've been at my old company, a company I worked at starting when I was 17 and worked at around till I was 29-ish, somewhere in there. They still, they still like me enough to welcome me back. So they let me come and use stuff and they donated the tile for the bathrooms and the owner is very kind and gracious and my family has a long history with them. So the last two weeks I've gone there and the memories just came flooding back. The memories, the memories of making a horrible time-consuming mistakes that takes a project that should take two hours and transforms it into a project that takes about 12 and just kind of sucks the life out of you as you're working on it. And I had this great time yesterday stand at a perfect impersonation of a client that is just too close for comfort as you're finishing something, just very interested in what you're doing. It was spot on, Stan. I feel like you've been in that position before in your history in which you've had clients like that. Also, I'm sorry that I had you do the intro. It was amazing. I forgot that you had lost your voice until Batman came up and spoke to us. But so I was doing this work and these memories were flooding back and I had one very specific memory come up on, I think it was Friday. And it was a memory of when I was 19. See, when I was 19, I believed. I had heard about Jesus all growing up, but never really understood him, didn't understand the word of God. And in fact, at 19, I don't think that I knew the Holy Spirit until then when I, he finally opened my eyes and revealed himself in the scriptures to me. But at 19, I very specifically remember working at Stone Dimensions because I had been depressed. I had just almost flunked out of UW-Madison because of a love for video games over schoolwork. And I was at this job that my brother had hired me to, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life and so I had eight to ten hours a day at this company. And for most days, what I would do is stand in an area that was about two feet by seven feet and just walk back and forth side to side while holding this grinding wheel that's about the size of this microphone. And I would just do this. Now, for those who are listening to audio, you can't appreciate the acting that's going on. But I'm mimicking working on edges, working on stone. In fact, I would do things very similar to how this table is made. I would make things like this often. Now, that is boring. It's a boring thing to do, to do that endlessly, over and over and over. And in that time, I had this great gift that I didn't think was a gift. I had this great gift 
which was just solitude. Because the machines would be buzzing, and the only thing I had in those moments were my work and my thoughts. And I could not escape my thoughts in that time. Now, over time, I tried to medicate the thoughts with music and humor and stuff like that in the radio. But sometimes the buzzing would just be too loud. And in those, that the times when I couldn't distract myself when the batteries had run out, because this was 10 years ago, and so you got maybe two to three, li- three hours of life from any device... And I was just in that silence, I had an opportunity that changed my life. I had an opportunity to sit there with the Lord, well, stand there and work, really. Stand there and work with the Lord, and he was able to not only speak to me, but allow me to speak back and confront Issues in my life, confront things I was struggling with, confront ideas that I did not understand. And it was a gift and a grace. It was focused meditation. And that, I tell you all that because it was something that happened this week as I was preparing for the sermon. As I was preparing for today, I was thinking as I was working upon a little verse in 2 Timothy 3.16 where Paul speaks to his his, his student, Timothy, about the greatness of the word of God. And he tells them that all scripture is God breathes or breathed out by God. And he gives four, for four reasons. And I don't know, I'm just going to do this off the cuff. For correction, for reproof, reproof, for teaching and training. That God's word has that effect. Now, I want you to take this scripture within those four realms today. There could be a lesson for you in this scripture. There could be an adjustment in your life today from this scripture. There could be a reproof. A, hey, you're, you got something wrong going on. I'm going to tell you honestly, my week, reproof. This is what this did for me this week. It was a reproof. It was not a mean rebuke, but it was a loving, kind redirect from the Lord. And I think, I I don't know if I said training, but specific, adjustable, get you stronger type training. That's what I hope this text does for you this week, that you would look at those four and say, you know what, this is what God wants me to do. Because as we are continuing in our We're Moving series, Dave decided to let me throw a curveball and talk about prayer this week. And I decided that I would talk about prayer as me and Dave were discussing it in a different way. And that's by going to a narrative. And it's a narrative in the beginning of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1. And we're going to look at this, and we're going to see three sets of people, and what they did, and one major principle to guide us as we pray. But before we do that, let's pray. Let's pray together. Would you just join me? Lord God, We are praying in the name of Jesus because we have access to you. We have received the Holy Spirit by his name, by faith in his name. And since we believe that Jesus lives and since we know what he has done for us on the cross and over the grave, we pray that you would take our prayers and that you would grow them. That you would help us to pray as the men and women prayed in this narrative today from Acts chapter 1. 
Help us to love you and respond to you in a way that glorifies you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I just got a, an hallelujah, an amen from a baby out there. If you ever hear a baby screaming, just think that's an amen during a sermon. Because there's about a 90% chance my daughter Sadie is going to release one of those during this sermon. So that's just her saying amen, daddy. And just hear it like that, because that's how I hear it. So we are in Acts chapter 1. And the context of Acts chapter 1 is that Jesus has died, he is risen, and he is speaking to his disciples. And we're going to start in verse 4, we're going to go through 4 through 11, just so I can explain some of this to you. So you understand what's about to happen in the major text. So this is just context. This is just so you have clarity. And And it starts, And while staying with them, he, referring to Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, where they had been, the city of Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This text begins, the context begins with a promise. Stay in the city, the Holy Spirit is coming, it matters. Stay there, wait. So that's what the disciples have heard. And so we continue in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, because they're confused, because they don't understand what's happening, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Just the important thing there, God is giving them power to go and be his witnesses. I think that's pretty important for us as we think about what's going to happen as we enter into this new building. What we need. We don't need to be savvy. We don't need to be articulate. Those are great things. You should be articulate. What we need is power from the Lord that will always Always outgain any skill set that you think you can achieve through practice or through some form of training. Skill from the Lord, power from the Lord is what we need and what we should pray for. In verse 9, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. This Jesus who's taken up from you into heaven, oh, sorry, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So that's just the context. Lots of crazy stuff has happened. Jesus has spoken to him. He's given him directives about waiting for the Holy Spirit. And when they've received power to go And be a witness for Christ. And the book of Acts actually unfolds according to this verse. If you read the book of Acts, you will see them go to Jerusalem. And then to Judea and Samaria. And then to the ends of the earth. It's almost like a table of contents of what's going to happen next. But that's a different sermon. Because this is where things get important for us. And we're going to read starting in 12 through 13 because this is the first action they take. They gather in 12 through 13. 
Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. So they had been with Jesus. They'd seen him ascend into heaven. And they go back to where Jesus had told them to go. Which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying. And this is who came. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. And then later it says, together, so it's not just the 11 disciples at that point, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. The first step they take as they approach prayer, as they wait on the Lord, is they gather. Simple, right? That seems pretty simple. Get together with people. Show up. Be there. It's not, though. It's not. And honestly, we're all examples of how it's not. Because you know just as well as I do that you can be somewhere and not be there. You can show up to a place and have no openness or connection to anyone. And we all know the problems. We all know the reasons. We have excuses and we have reasons. And sometimes they might be as simple as like, you know, my personality just, I'm I'm worried about it. Sometimes it's because you're extroverted and the personality that's coming out isn't really you. And sometimes it's just the everyday waiting that we do now. It's like, oh, at the building, Dave Petrick's doing something. I'm waiting for some glue to dry. You know, I'm just going to... Check some Twitter and check some emails and look at some photos and do this and do that and do the other thing. Waiting, I know, is a problem for me. I am terrible at waiting now. I feel like I used to be better at waiting. There was a period from, let's say, about maybe 13 I think I got better at waiting around then. Before that, uh, waiting was terrible. But from like 13 to maybe about 19 years old, where I maximized my waiting, and then 20 to 21 was bad, 22 to 20-something got a little better, and then boom, as devices and opportunities for distraction became more and more popular, to now where there is no waiting. But you look at this passage. They're waiting on Jesus. And their waiting has a very, very specific nature. Now, before we go on, I want to show you this great video. It's, it's, a, um, it's a video of a man named Propaganda. His real name's Jason, I believe. And he, shares at a, he shared at an event. It's a poem. It's a spoken word poem. And so I'm going to share some quotes from it in case it's too fast for you or if it's too hard to follow. But just try your best to listen because I think it's a great, um, it's a great poem slash video to hear in this context. Do we have it? Okay, go ahead. So I tend to think of life in terms of movie clips or, or tweetable moments. Somehow I've convinced myself they last longer that way. And my wife proved me wrong when she referred to my phone as my black wife. Now, I thought it was funny. I mean, we, we both giggled. Now, single men take notes. Now, I'm no expert, 
But I don't think she was kidding. She talked about some other stuff which I really don't remember. I was too busy in my head composing a tweet where I would quote her with some sort of clever hashtag about marriage and about how much I love her to be paying attention to her at that moment. I think what snapped me back in was the silence which indicated I was supposed to have some sort of response to whatever she was talking about. I told my father that story in hopes to get a little sympathy, my father. Civil rights and Vietnam War vet, hopelessly charming on his fourth marriage, father. And rather than the customary nod that men give each other when they understand, he proceeded to tell me why he failed as my mother's husband. He said it was the same reason half of his platoon died in Vietnam and the same reason you are deathly afraid of your daughter becoming a teenager's son. You can't hear past the explosions, either the ones that already happened or the ones you anticipate. See, the former paralyzes. Living life in a rear view mirror, driving full speed across traffic into the center divider. So shell-shocked, you too stupid to duck when bullets are flying. Or the latter, your life a game of capture the flag. So focused on the finish line, you stepped right on a landmine. So ready to attack the day, frustrated because you can't find your keys. Focused on the meetings you finna miss and the traffic you finna sit in to realize you've been holding your keys the whole time. Slow down. You've been hypnotized by the possibility. Son, I couldn't hear past the bombs. And the first one didn't kill me and the second one ain't even happened. Yet it ended our family. He told me a love story of a woman born before him. He said, but I knew her from before and at the moment of conception, there was an eternal connection. And although I didn't know it then, I'd fight for her affection. It's this war we've been waging since day one of creation. And only when you lose her do you learn to appreciate her. Like even when I'm with her, I'm itching to get rid of her. And she only gives you one shot. Blow it and she's gone. And I took advantage of her. That's why I'm telling you this, son, you can't rush her or slow her down. You better keep her on your side. She will slip through your fingers like sand. Her name is Time. And she told me a secret. She said multitasking is a myth. You ain't doing anything good, just everything awful. <laughs> and she begged me to stop stretching her thin and stuffing her full and stop being so concerned with the old her and future her, but love her now. Her presence is God's present and you should be that huh, present. So I guess you could say, well, I guess I can say I've been through a divorce now. Me and my phone are no longer married. I think I'm ready to be here now. Two things I hope you heard in that. The time secret, multitasking is a myth. You ain't doing anything good, just everything awful. Oh, that is a punch in the gut for me. And then the second one. 
her presence time. Her presence is God's present and you should be that present. I'm so thankful. I got to meet Propaganda when we went to California last year and he signed some stuff for me. And it was, he's a, he's like six foot four. He's a really tall guy. And I was just so thankful for his words because he's a great, he's a great poet. But he speaks truth in those situations that the reality of my prayer life is clouded by the fact that when I'm there, am I there? When I am with the Lord, am I there? Or am I just spouting off a prayer really quickly because the necessity of this prayer is important, but getting to the next thing exceeds this moment that I needed to be there and not be there with God. And so that's where I want you to start to hear that principle, be present. Be present when you're praying alone. Be present with the Lord. And when you are with others, be present with them as well. But that's only the first point, which is troubling because of how long that took. The second point is what happened when they gathered. And that's they united. It doesn't say they gathered and were fragmented and distracted. It says that they gathered and they united. Now we read this and we think, it was the disciples, of course they united. It was Jesus' mother, of course they united. It was Jesus' brothers, of course they united. It was the women. These people cared for Jesus. Wrong. This was a group that was fragmented. This was a group that was in disarray. This was a group that had just seen their leader crucified and had split up because everything seemed to be done. And then he came back and he brought them back and he brings them together and you just have to say, They didn't come together and everything that had been in their mind about what had happened was forgotten. They came together with memories. Memories that Judas, one of the twelve, was the one that betrayed Jesus for a prophet. That Peter not only had denied Christ after following him so passionately, but once he had finished denying, he quit The story of Peter is that he denied and then he said, I guess I just quit. And he went back to fishing. Jesus had to go and get him to stop going back to his old job to get him to return to the labor of the Lord. John alone went to the cross. So there's probably some bitterness there. Hey guys, I went and saw Jesus. I'm now supposed to take care of Mary. What's, what's your deal? Thomas doubted. Even, even Mary and the brothers. During Jesus' ministry, they were trying to get him to stop doing what he was doing at times. And the list goes on. And so you think, here is a group that's coming together, that is gathering together, that is united in prayer, in that climate, with those emotions? Yes! They were. And so the question in our heart should be, how? How do you get over all of that and unite together? How do you unite in prayer? How do you you unite 
as a body of believers. And there's one word, it's forgiveness. Now this month, this last Monday, I was meeting with my small group, one of my small groups, and they complained that I never make mention of them. So here's me making mention of you guys that you'll really appreciate that. But we were talking about forgiveness in relationship to prayer. And I want to tell you, forgiveness is necessary in prayer. And Jesus says it twice. He says, as he teaches in Matthew during the Sermon on the Mount of how to pray, as he teaches the disciples how to pray, he says two things. He says, first off, to ask God to forgive you your debts or your trespasses or your sins or however you grew up reciting it. But he says, ask God to forgive you. And then in the midst of that, forgive others. Just as I have forgiven you. But there's another verse that we are discussing concerning the attitude of forgiveness. It's in Mark 11, verse 24 through 25. And this is another time that Jesus is speaking about prayer. And he says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And whenever you start praying, when you start praying, forgive. Forgive. It doesn't say make sure someone's apologized to you and forgive. It says when you start praying, forgive. The presence of forgiveness bears the promise of Unity and to be present with one another means we must grow that attitude of forgiveness. We must fight for that attitude of forgiveness. We must peer into our hearts and when bitterness, anger, and disunion comes up anywhere in our prayer life, when it's concerning the kid in second grade who was a bully to you, the attitude of forgiveness needs to come up. When it's concerning the parents who didn't quite measure up to your expectations or desires, the presence of prayer has to come up. When it's concerning that person that, you know what, just no matter what they do, they get me in such a bad way. They make me feel such angry thoughts. That's when the presence of prayer has to come up. The presence of forgiveness in the presence of prayer, excuse me, must come up. We need that. Otherwise, unity is unreachable. And that's what they did. They united. Which takes us to our last point in Acts 1.14. All these with one accord, one accord, that was the unity. Sorry for not showing you that. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves. They chose to be present. To be present. And to speak to the Lord. They were not just saying, you know God, we're going to show up and we're going to pray. I don't know. Three minutes before, like when we wake up and then at lunch and then at dinner and maybe at bedtime and maybe the Holy Spirit will come then. Let's just say we're devoted. That their hearts were connected with God. That when the opportunity to pray 
came, they prayed. When someone appeared to need prayer, they prayed. When they were waiting upon the Lord's hand to move and the Spirit to come, they prayed. And so that is my prayer for you, that you would look upon devotion not as a, I have to make sure that I'm doing this, 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 and this but rather that it would be a heartfelt attitude that in your everyday circumstances that you would be devoted to be present in prayer for one another and unto God for all that occurs. And that when God pricks you and gives you that opportunity to pray for someone, that you would not let it linger, but that you would take it. And that you would take it. Going through this week, I needed help as I prepared. I needed help. And so I want to give you a recommendation for some assistance if you're like, I just don't know what to do in prayer. And it's this, it's a, it seems like a big book. It seems like a big book. Um, it's a book on prayer by Tim Keller. And the first few chapters are enough. If you just want to, I mean, you might be like, oh, I'm over-investing because I'm buying a book for just the first few chapters. But just the first few chapters can teach you so much about prayer and just be such a blessing on your prayer life. He gives very concrete strategies on how to grow in your prayer life. But there is three things that I'm going to finish up with that I think are important. And the first is that our prayers are learned. Our prayers are learned. Right now, our daughter is starting to make noises. They're not words. I caught one of them, and it almost sounded like a high, but that's not, it's not a word. It's just her uh, gasping in joy. And the reality is, our speech with God, our time connecting with God is a learned thing. You might think that you're just supposed to go to God and say whatever you want. That's, That's a learned attitude. And the way we pray to God is a learned thing. That's why Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer. And all that is to say is, if you want to speak to God in a language that is powerful, is convicting, and helps guide you through what you need to do, look to people that have prayed in the Scriptures. Look to ways that God has taught us to pray. Read the Psalms. I'd, I'd encourage you, as we approach the building If you just pick up a psalm a day, and you read that, and then you think about it, and you just pray, Lord, I just, like I was, this week, I think I read Psalm 29, and it spoke about waiting for the Lord. And I'm like, ah, this is exactly what I'm preaching on. This attitude that it is describing, the the way that we have to view prayer of, you know, we're waiting for God to come and intercede and rescue. And I wouldn't have had that. I wouldn't have had that language if not for reading Psalm 29. Just start, start there, just read a little bit. And then as you pray for healing, as you pray for grace, as you pray for God's presence, as you pray for God's help, let that language seep into you and overflow. The second point that I wanted to share is that our prayers must seek God. Don't let your prayers just be about quick little things. Don't let them be 30-second prayers. Like, Lord, bless this food to my body. Amen. Or, Lord, 
please let Sadie finish cutting her tooth so that she doesn't wake up Hannah all night long and then I feel guilty in the morning. Amen. Like those are, those are important prayers. I should be praying for Sadie, but I need to be praying bigger things and longer things. And I was convicted when my brother Aaron Elkhorn spoke about praying for his children in the other small group. I was like, I need to pray for my daughter. I need to pray for my daughter more than I pray right now. And so pray for big things. Pray prayers that seek God, that seek his presence, that seek his power, that seek his plan, that seek his provision for your needs. And then lastly, something our brother John preached on, I think many months ago. No, the answer is yes. I originally wrote this song, this song, this sermon, just answering that question of what does the answer yes mean in prayer? And I was ready to explain it because I was like, oh, John set us up with this great thing. And I just, I just love the meditation on that. And I need to go off for five minutes on it, but I'm not. And I have a reason. The reason is the answer of yes to prayers from Jesus is something that led to a great conversation between me and my wife. What the answer meant in prayer life. And I don't know if John did that on purpose or because he ran out of time like me. But trying to figure out how Jesus' statement of yes in our prayer life, what that means when we pray, is something so important. It's an opportunity to be present before the Lord. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, where Paul speaks about it. But just thinking about that and praying about that, like how are you answering yes in my prayer life, Lord? That is an opportunity to be present. And that is an opportunity to investigate what God means when he says that he answers prayer. A little hint, the answer of yes is about the yes of Jesus. And it's about the yes of his presence. Now, what that means in each prayer that you are praying, that's something you have to seek out. It's a treasure you have to pursue. I would encourage you to be present. That's my encouragement to you. Find a way to be present, whether it is in the times when we come together, when you meet with brothers and sisters in Christ, when you're at home with your family, when you are out in the community. Think of what is getting in the way of you being present. Don't burn yourself out. Don't think I'm saying get rid of music, get rid of podcasts, get rid of watching TV on occasion, get rid of reading fiction books, nothing like that. But when you have the opportunity to be present, be present. Be present. And then allow that being present to affect your gathering, affect your unity, and affect your devotion to prayer. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you so much. We thank you so much that you hear our prayers. And we ask now that as you hear our prayers, that as we pray for this work that's about, that's about to be completed, that we get closer and closer each day to completing, that you would give strength to the laborers and those who come who feel like they can't do anything, that they would know that they are appreciated, that them being present means so much to the other workers. 
and that there's still much to do. And that as a whole, that we would be in prayer for each other and that we would be in prayer for this community that we are entering into. That your spirit who dwells within us, who is signed and sealed upon our hearts to deliver us into this world, we pray that you would give us the power, O Lord, to do the work that you have put before us. Lord, make your name great in this community and help us to honor you in all that we do.